Cast for crap. What number is this? I don't even know anymore. Leave a blank. Fill it in later. We have too many of these. It's like 372, I think. Yeah, yeah, 372. Uh, I am your host, Dustin, and with me today is Larry. 46 and rain. It's so nice outside. Not. And Ben. Yo, what's up? Uh, Aaron is not with us today because rather than watch a bunch of anime, he is instead reading a bunch of light novels and relaxing, which is honestly probably the better choice. You know, if you, I understand if you read enough light novels, you'll float. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm, I'm ending the podcast. <laughs> As always, you can find show notes, the final show notes, at www.projectarhi.net or audioentropy.com. And we will begin this podcast with Cowboy Bebop, episodes uh, 9 through 17. Uh, Conveniently, both beginning and ending on Ed-centric episodes. It's a nice little capstone there. Yes. Yeah, so uh, sort of like, uh, we won't really go super in-depth with each episode, uh, but I I do really like, I do really like this series of episodes, and this is kind of where the show really started to click for me. Um, I, I can't really, I'm not sure I can really explain why, but my gut tells me that uh, I think it, through, with episodes 9 through 17 it is where like it feels like they become comfortable with how they've established their characters uh, and so now they feel comfortable doing different things with them uh, instead of having Jet and Spike and Faye kind of act on their kind of like stereotypical behaviors uh, prototypical behaviors Faye, um, Faye is still worst girl though oh yeah Faye is still awful but she's at least she at least gets more depth to why she's awful uh, in uh, My Funny Valentine uh, particularly yeah. um, and also like she uh, she ha- she plays a fairly different and more interesting role in the Jupiter Jazz um, episodes as well um, but yeah, like th- these episodes are definitely where the cast kind of like gets to flex their character development a little more and, and expand from, you know, their typical boxes that they've been placed in from in the first episodes, which I think contributes to why I like these episodes more. Yeah. We also um, got a, we also got a jet backstory episode in this, yeah. this uh, in this block. 
Yeah, in fact, this block has back has a backstory for um, every major character except Ed. Though Ed's deal is kind of is pretty well touched on in nine. Mm-hmm. Well, and nine, but uh, that's fine. And Toys in the Attic reminds us to clean out the fridge occasionally. <laughs> Man, can you imagine if they did an Ein backstory episode? What would that even look like? <laughs> what? It'd be, it'd actually, it would be kind of like the animal-centric episodes in Excel Saga. God, it's been so long since I've even thought about Excel Saga. <laughs> I feel like that's a show that would not hold up well for me, but who knows? Uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that one. I yeah, mean, I like, enjoyed it when I saw it, but... I, I feel like the humor was very dependent on the popular humor at that time. Uh, sort of like uh, Yonan Vasquez's work, particularly like um, uh, Invader Zim. Like, that's the style of humor that it reminds me of. Like, very, very 90s humor. Uh... Which I, I'm not sure how well it would... Much like Invader Zim, I'm not sure how well it would age. Uh, I could be wrong. No, it, but Well, my take on it was that it was mostly uh, uh, genre parodies. Like, each episode, each episode was a parody of a different genre. Although yeah, they... That yeah. was definitely part of it, but there was also... I like how we're immediately getting distracted by Excel Saga here, but uh, <laughs> sorry about uh, it, that. Like, it, I do recall there was not a there was a significant chunk of like sort of uh, lol random and frenetic humor as well. No. Um, yeah, I could be, I could be mistaken because again, it has been probably a couple decades since I watched that show, but. Yeah, I don't know, but but yeah, but the but but the yeah, the point is though is that Excel Saga had two episodes which were centered on the dog. Like, and that was the don't point. get me wrong, I do like dog cent- centered episodes of basically anything. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, looking at our future episodes, I don't think we're gonna get that. No. <laughs> but what, what I'm, well, and the other thing I want to say that I didn't get to say last time is. Bebop covers a whole bunch of social, I don't want to use the word ills, um, but looks into society like uh, when Faye busted into the room and found the two guys in bed, or uh, come to find out the saxophone player is a hermaphrodite. Well, or has has both male and female uh, characteristics. And uh, then the... uh, the uh, wonderful, loving drag queens that rope Spike in. Uh, yeah, it, I, I, it, I, I believe it, the... I want to say the um, more up-to-date term for uh, what the character in Jupiter Jazz is is intersex, I believe. Um, I, I could be wrong. If I am, I will edit this out and replace it with the proper term, but I'm pretty well, sure it's intersex. Well, that's why I just, you know, went with the genetically and chemically altered. Yeah. Because that's basically what happened. So uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it, there's there's a bunch of and it, social. It is social... it is handled with a lot more grace than I was expecting for oh. an anime of that time. Right. 
that's what I'm saying. You know, we're talking 1998. And, you know, 1998, a lot of these things were still, I won't say in the closet, but weren't spoke about in open public. And well, so, Japan is uh, not, was definitely not quite, is not definitely not as woke. Yeah. You can even actually look at Ed, who... You know, is definitely like not a definitely a gender non-conforming woman. Yeah, like she looks more like a red-haired basketball player. Yeah, and like, and Ed is one of the best characters in the show, and like, no one ever gives Ed crap for like dressing the way that she does or acting the way that she does, Um, and yeah, it, it, it this show is a lot more progressive than a lot of other shows for its time and a lot of the uh social commentary it makes particularly in regards to uh economic class divides you know in particular uh and sort of the fate of you know the working class is still extremely relevant <laughs> well and the yeah. other thing is is thanks to the gate accident the earth is basically a useless wasteland. Everybody's living underground. So all these wonderful scenes that we get to see aren't on Earth. They're on other planets that man has ventured out to through the gate system, which we come well, to find out, like anything else man built, has a few bugs in it. That's mostly, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, there are other planets, but they're basically sealed habitats because, uh, <laughs> because, uh, the, you know, and all these, uh, like, all the, you know, Every every planet except for Earth is basically you know the atmosphere is unbreathable. So you basically yeah, have... they, they never yeah Cowboy Bebop is a universe where they never mastered like complete terraforming. Yeah, well they didn't so they didn't have they didn't have time because uh, this is only the late twentieth late late twenty first century. Yeah, uh, I mean terraforming is something that takes centuries if not millennia to so... do. And so basically all these cities are kind of like big Macross cities. They're wonderful cities under a big bubble. Yeah, it's it's a really cool universe that feels extremely plausible, especially uh-huh. given the, uh, again, especially given the catastrophic uh, uh, climate changes that are happening to our planet right now, though unfortunately I don't think we'll have Cowboy yeah. Bebop spaceships by then. Uh, well, after after our astronauts went up the other day and the rocket malfunctioned and they landed back on the ground in Russia and never made it to the space station, uh, the current stuff we got now ain't all that dependable either. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, episode nine, it, it both like gives us some really cool backstory on sort of what happened with, you know, Earth itself, as well as inter- introducing Ed, who is, again, like one of the best characters in the show, um, if not the best character in the show. And, and Spike um, says the three things I dislike, kids, women, and dogs. Yeah, we've got all three. Yeah, got a, how, did, how, how did we wind up with this crew? I, yeah, this was a, this was a good, I mean, if you were going to introduce somebody to Bebop, I would say session uh, 9 through 17 would be the set to show them and then let them watch around it. I, yeah, a... I, I'd I'd say probably do the the first two the first three episodes, 
and then like heavy metal queen just because heavy metal queen is real good yeah <laughs> and then yeah like 9 to 17 is a, is a really good chunk of episodes where uh, the show definitely starts clicking with me um but yeah like cool. i uh, i also just like what ed brings to the crew because like every everybody on this ship is cynical <laughs> Uh, even Ayn at times, and like, I know, he's a dog, but like, there are definitely points where you can tell that Ayn is just like, cut these friggin' people. <laughs> yeah, what did I get myself into? <laughs> whereas Ayn, whereas, whereas like, Ed does not have a, like, a single cynical bone in her entire body. No, she is the original free spirit. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, the, I like the energy she brings to the the ensemble. I love, I love her playing chess in the in the Bohemian Rhapsody episode. That was such a good episode. Yes, it was. Oh, and you know the three old guys keep showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up. Oh, they keep showing up. That's 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 that. And yeah. nobody figures out how they get from point A to point B to point C to point D, but they they keep showing up. Yeah, I also just like how these episodes. A lot of these episodes just play with your expectations. Uh, like particularly again, Bohemian Rhapsody, Jupiter Jazz, uh, Toys in the Attic as well. I, Toys in the Attic is such a pitch perfect alien parody. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah right but it's like yeah it's like it's like most of the episode plays like a horror movie but you know but it ends up ultimately being so silly yeah like it ends on a like extreme like a just completely comedic note uh especially with oh god what is the ballet song they play at the end uh, I want to say it's from like a Dance of the Sugar Plum. Yeah, I, I believe that's it. I believe it's Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. Yeah, but yeah, da, as, as da, like da, the da, 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 da. yeah, I think yeah, as as the refrigerator exits the airlock and starts spinning in space. Yep, <laughs> it's such a perfect musical cue. Yeah. Um, well, uh, somebody did some research for some of these episodes i mean it's this this is this is quite what can i say wild wild yeah wild you know but okay another thing is that you know with toys in the attic ed has got a cast iron stomach because yeah. she flat out yeah. just eats the monster <laughs> yeah she's just like mm, food <laughs> it's like... well it, when you find out children have a yeah, like even Ein couldn't do that, and Ein's literally a dog. <laughs> Ed somehow has a more robust immune system than the dog does, which is pretty impressive. Uh, well, <laughs> it, the more we find out about Ed, the the more you'll be able to understand what's going on here, and I won't spoil it. Though I guess maybe living on Earth helped. Who knows? On, well. There's some weird shit going on with Earth. Uh, yeah, boy, that's that's an understatement. We also found out there was some weird shit going on with uh, uh, Faye because apparently she 
like she got the same sort of weird like anti-aging like (laughs) magic space whatever that the uh one kid in uh sympathy for the devil had as well uh not no oh Oh wait, no. I'm sorry. She was uh, she was placed in cryogenic stasis. Right. She yeah. She was put in a suspended sleepy boo and woke up when they could cure her problem. And there was only a little thing called seventy years difference between sleepy time and wakey time. Yeah. No. So Faye looks twenty, but she's actually much older. Well, well let's see. Now, here's the thing. Okay, no way. How does this work? Because you're in stasis and you don't age, so your body is still twenty, but chronologically you're seventy something, and but the body's never going to catch up. So that means by the time you're seventy, you'll be chronologically like a hundred and twenty. Uh, yeah, how does this all work? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, essentially, like because because she was in stasis, like. It's essentially like time hasn't passed for her, so, you know, it's yeah. not like her body catches up or anything. Yeah, like, okay, because, alright, the way it works is that she was she was put under, uh, she was put under in uh, 2014, and then, uh, and then basically uh, unfrozen in 2068, and, and she meets up with the, and she gets on the Bebop in 2071. Uh, uh, wait, you said what time she was unfrozen? Twenty forty something? She no, she was uh, she was unfrozen in twenty sixty eight. Says so. In okay, the I was gonna say because like otherwise, like dang, years. how does she still look so young? Yeah, but uh, yeah, so she was frozen for fifty four years according to the episode. Yeah, so basically she's she's about seventy. Yeah, seventy four. Seventy. Uh, she's. Uh, She's, I mean, if okay. I were her, I just wouldn't count the stasis years. Yeah, chronologically, she's seventy-seven. <laughs> she's seventy-seven years old. Okay, I was three years off, but it's okay. Uh, that's that's still yeah. yeah. E- even though I still do not like Faye at all, um, I do think my funny Valentine does a lot for explaining why Faye has such a cavalier attitude toward relationships and finances where it's like well i'm gonna lose it all anyway so might as well enjoy it enjoy it while it lasts like something's gonna screw me over at some point like i already have been i get this and i like when when she runs into the uh to the lawyer and then the doctor and the nurse show up yeah so like it it ends up being like because initially it seems like Faye's attitude is more out of like selfishness and like greed but really her attitude is more akin to nihilism well it's a reaction to being screwed over royally and having no control over it yeah yeah so it's it's actually a lot more cynical than it is you know actually greedy um and it's kind of like partly a coping mechanism for her so i think it does a lot to uh, explain I think it I think it definitely helps to explain that like no Faye isn't this way because she's an idiot uh, or anything like that she she's this way because she's been you know uh, 
uh, emotionally manipulated and abused, like, yeah, consistently. Well, it looks like she got started, dealt a bad hand to begin with, and then continued on. But as you keep watching episodes, there is a couple more Faye episodes that are coming up that will explain a lot more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> guessing from the titles, one of them is definitely Hard Luck Woman. <laughs> uh, no, actually, that's Julia. But uh... Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, anyway... Um, trying to think. Uh, it it feels weird for for us to sort of be for me to be skimming over Jupiter Jazz, but yeah, also yeah, that's, that's I, sort of part of the central. That's a that's a big part of the central overplot here. Yeah, yeah. What I'm finding strange though is like I kind of I kind of don't care about Spike's backstory all that much, or, or <laughs> like or c- vicious either. <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh, I, I super don't care about Vicious. Like, he is just the most generic rival bad guy. Oh, and he, <laughs> well, by the time we get down to uh, 23, well, 24, and 25, he lives up to that uh, Vicious name. Yeah, and Spike's whole thing is like, oh, I, you know, still obsessed about my lost love. And, yeah, I just, I just find Spike's backstory to be just aggressively generic yeah well that's the thing is that yeah his backstory isn't all that but i like his personality yeah i i agree spike himself i like a lot um but what's interesting is that even though theoretically these like spike focused episodes are kind of supposed to be the backbone of bebop I find them to be the least interesting episodes for the most part because Spike's history is a lot less interesting than Spike himself. Like, the Spike of Toys in the Attic is a way more fun Spike than the one who obsesses over Vicious and Julia. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with you on that front. <clears throat> yeah, which is, which is unfortunate because, like, clearly... Stuff like Jupiter Jazz um, and uh, Ballad of Fallen Angels are meant to be, like, really important episodes, but I just can't bring myself to care much about them. Here, here. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. We kind of, we kind of, we talked about Bohemian Rhapsody already, um, touched on My Funny Valentine, uh, Black Dog Serenade, uh, which is um, one of uh, Jet's two backstory episodes, his first one being episode 10, which Ganymede LG was fine, but kind of had the same issue as Jupiter Jazz in that it focused on, like, oh, Jet has a lost love. <laughs> Apparently all these friggin' people have lost loves. Well... <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. Is that these are these are like uh, experienced people that have, uh, you know, that have yeah, that have gone I, that have gone through many relationships in their time. I know. I just wish there was a little more, you know, variety. Um, Black Dog Serenade to me was the much more enjoyable uh, Jet backstory episode because um, it was about his, you know, time in the police and sort of like how he lost his arm. And how his, uh, depart- how his partner put it to him. 
Yeah, and also it just had like, and also the present plot plot line also had like a, a really, in, it was really interesting in how it played out. Uh huh. Like I, I really enjoyed all the characters who were involved with Jet's backstory and sort of like how they interacted with him in the present with the whole like hostage, like the the spaceship takeover. Um. Yeah, I don't really have much more to say about it. I'm not sure if you guys want to touch on it some more. Uh, oh, let's, yeah. let's let's go to the last episode, the Mushroom Samba. God, Mushroom Samba is so good. <laughs> it's 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 kind of well. The thing about it is, is that it's kind of dumb if you think about it too hard. Oh, it's very dumb, it's but very, I love but it, it. It's fun, dumb. <laughs> It, yeah, it, it, it's it's that fun, silly, crazy kind of. I mean, it, Ed and I, the chase scene on the scooter, on the train, uh, it's like, and and the the wrong bag of mushrooms and the right bag, and then at the end where Spike's walking out and the cop goes, "Oh, bag of mushrooms." Well, yeah, we also fought. We also finally get a lot more like representation of black people than we usually do. Though it is somewhat sketchy because they're definitely stereotyped a bit. Yeah. Well, um, my 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 take on that was that what they're doing was was that with with the way they were doing that they were playing with the they were playing with the tropes of uh, old black exploitation movies. Yeah, there, there's there's definitely it definitely has that black exploitation angle to it. So I kind of I get what they're going for. Um, I think it just doesn't work. I I think I just think there is an issue with it in the context of the series as a whole, just because there aren't a whole lot of other black characters that show up. Well, <laughs> that, except for that... like, well, except for like the guy who. Uh, there's the black guy who shows up on the Bounty Hunter TV show every practically every episode. I do love that guy a lot. He's good. <laughs> Although you gotta wonder, like. You gotta wonder about the like the, the the lady on the bounty hunter uh the uh bounty hunter show. You gotta wonder if like she is like a wardrobe malfunction waiting to happen. Well, yeah, well, know, it's the, the future. That... Maybe they, it's the future. So maybe they have really good double sided tape these days. And you, you realize that that's Punch and Judy. Well, yeah, but yeah. yeah. So think about God, Punch, uh... think, think about a Punch and Judy show, and then it all falls together. So I, I'm I'm kind of skip I'm sort of like skipping through this episode uh, episode 17 while I'm talking about it just to refresh my memory on it and there's so many good visual gags in this episode like early on when Ed and Ayn are trying to like find food to eat because everyone's starving because again they're really bad bounty hunters uh, <laughs> so they, they can't make a living. Well, no, the biggest problem is is the minute Bebop gets any money in the safe, Faye makes it disappear. Yeah, but also they're not very good bounty hunters. Um, or or uh, they, get the wrong, they end up with the wrong bounty. So, like, Ed and Ayn find this, like, watermelon stand, and the guy's like, you got any money? And, like, Ed looks through her clothes and her pockets, and then, like, as a last-ditch effort, opens up Ayn's mouth. Yep. 
that is such a good joke. Yeah. And there's and there's just so much like that in this episode, just like really good, you know, physical and, and visual humor. Yeah, like when uh yeah, like when uh let's see <laughs> when everybody else was tripping on shrooms. Yeah. And also just like as much as I have you know, some issues give you know, given the context of the rest of the series, like with the sort of uh black exploitation tropes on display here, I do have to admit the like uh the black lady who shows up looks super cool. Well it, it, <laughs> and 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 I love how they play with her role because you think she's gonna be a major player in the episode. But then they immediately immediately write her off by like having uh, her get pulled over, and sh- she's not realizing that Ed and I are hanging out in her trunk. So the cops think she kidnapped them. And, and though she, uh, I like how the guy gets on the phone with cop gets on the phone with his girlfriend or wife or whatever, and she just sneaks the key and walks out the door. Like, yeah. <laughs> well. The uh, person that that's that's in the car is called Coffee, okay. And uh, yeah, of course. The thing about that though is that uh, it's it's see it yeah. There there's a major plot. There's like well, among the major plot holes in Mushroom Samba, there's the fact that they crash land on this. Uh, well, they have to crash land on a sealed habitat. Yeah, it's basically Arizona, but as a planet. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, you know. I I put up the Japanese voice actress, but she's uh, she's got a. You may not recognize her name, but you might recognize this character's name. Let's see here. Uh, Atsuko Tanaka. Oh man, Bayonetta. Keep going. All right. Okay. Now for you. Caster in Unlimited Blade Works. Motoko Kusanagi. Okay. Okay. All right. So so you want to know what the major sounded like when she was a kid? So she, so she she plays that uh, black lady in episode seventeen. Yep. Yep. Oh, oh man. Okay, that makes sense then. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There's a if, if you go through the cast on Bebop, you're gonna see a whole bunch of names that in 1998 didn't <clears throat> mean a whole bunch, but today are hallmark people. Uh, Maya Sakamoto's in here. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people that it's like. Also, man, in, in in the continuing saga of Dustin recognizing scenes from Cowboy Bebop that he saw in completely different contexts, um, this episode actually contains one. Uh, I'm not sure how many people listening to this podcast remember AMV Hell, um, but uh, the very first AMV Hell uh, contained a segment set to the music Stairway to Heaven, uh, that was uh, overdubbed on the clip of um, Spike 
like ascending the infinite stairs with the frog just sitting randomly on one of the steps and the frog was edited to uh, lip sync up to the lyrics of Stairway to Heaven (laughs) which I thought was very funny at the time so it's it's good to finally find out where the hell that clip came from (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I think starting in episode 10 or 11, the break, the eye catches, say that Bebop is a phenomenon and will become a genre of its own. Yeah, sadly, that never really happened. Well, well not in anime there's, much anyway. There's, there's not a Bebop genre, but there is a lot of stuff that looks like Bebop. Oh yeah, like there, it definitely had a big influence. Um, like a a recent example is like there's there is no way in hell that Space Dandy wasn't heavily influenced by Cowboy Bebop. Well, had um, the same had the same uh, well had the same director. Yeah. Well, um, sort of. I mean, of because of course the thing about or the the, the chief director was the same guy. And, but yeah, yeah, like there's there's definitely uh, a lot of stuff that came after that, you know, definitely took inspiration from Bebop. And, you know, the Bebop launched a musical artist's career who this lady is still flying high today. (laughs) I do also find it, like, pretty interesting that Cowboy Bebop and Outlaw Star, two... Two shows with extremely different tones and plot lines, but had like that, uh, like very obvious Wild West influence, came out at basically the same time, like extremely close close to one another. Well, uh, put out for the same studio as well. Yeah, yeah both, and then like, and then like, you lines. also had Trigun in the late nineties too, I was which say, Tri- like Trigun's the one that's more. Trigon would be the show that fit between Bebop and Outlaw Star. Yeah, like, man, the, the late 90s was a hell of a time for anime sci-fi westerns, wasn't it? <laughs> and, and anime sci-fi, because uh, that's when Crest of the Stars came out and a few other things. Yeah, maybe maybe someday the the anime sci-fi boom, western boom will happen again, but... <laughs> Well, you can't continue Bebop, but you could continue Outlaw Star or Trigun. I don't know why Tri- they, did they kill everybody off in Trigun? No, it, so. it had a pretty conclusive finish. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't really I don't really think they should continue Trigun. Okay. I, 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 I dig like a continuation of Outlaw Star, but also I kinda just want, you know, new stories that have like the anime sci fi western aesthetic. Yeah. Um but yeah, anyway, uh, space yeah, so western, epi- space western. That's what it was. Yeah, like. space western. Um, so yeah, mushroom, mushroom samba was a fantastic episode and definitely one of my favorites so far. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't really have much else to say about it. Oh, and there was one other, and I remembered it because uh, I've seen some of it space western from that genre would be this one uh i'm trying to i'm trying to type there oh wild arms yeah the wild arms series uh yeah those started out as video games i didn't actually realize there was a uh 
anime made of wild arms. I never yeah, saw uh, it. 22 episodes from uh, October of 99 through March of 2000. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, like, again, like, <laughs> uh, late, 90, late yeah. 90s, very early 2000s, good time for space westerns for some reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't know why. And there were some good ones. I mean, uh, you know, Outlaw Star has not lost its... Bebop has gotten a little old around the edges, and Trigon takes a certain... Oh, boy, men- man. Mentality to watch. <laughs> I yeah, rewatching Trigun was really rough for me. Like, I I do not like that show much anymore. Um, uh, there is de- like there there are aspects of it I really like, but the writing is very bad. Well, um, for the most part, uh, I I I haven't gone back to Outlaw Star yet because I'm really worried that Outlaw Star will suffer the same fate. I actually rewatched. I actually, uh, I actually did a rewatch of Outlaw Star uh, a few months, uh, or no, I think actually it's like last year, uh, and it held up pretty well. Yeah, that's I, good to know. I, I, I'm Outlaw Star. If you realize the corn that's in Outlaw Star and roll and roll with it, yeah, the this the story and everything else holds up pretty good. Uh, but uh, yeah, Trigun, uh, and I've got the Blu-ray set in there. I mean, I I went well. Okay, I got conned into buying the Trigun Blu-ray set, but we won't go there. At the very least, uh, Outlaw Star gave us Asia Clan Clan, and no one can take that away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, Twilight Suzuka. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, and yeah. Magic Bullets. The Magic best kind of bullets. Caster bullets. Anyway. Wait a minute, my memory's getting good. I, I'm, I'm regressing too far. <laughs> <laughs> so. No, I don't feel old. Sorry. I guess we're done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're done with Bebop for now. And we'll, yeah, uh, and <laughs> on our next episode, we will, uh, we will cover the grand finale. Uh, all right, so now that we're done with Cowboy Bebop, uh, let's move on to Katanagatri, episodes 5 through 8. Um, Sister Battle. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, well, so the thing about this, the thing about this run of episodes is that they get less metafictional, but they get more into... Uh, you know, but they get deeper into the characters. Yeah. So there's less of that meta comedy. Although there's still a little bit of it, but... uh, I admit, I just jumped forward a few episodes with that comment, and I think we should cover the the two where he steals the sword, armor sword from the guy without killing him, and uh, uh, gets to the the, uh, snowbound village. And then yeah, so takes on his sister. Yeah, eight, uh, so episode five is Aegis the Resentment, um, which is fine. Honestly, like this is one of the only episodes that I wasn't so hot on. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, compared to it, just like 
Yeah, compared to, like, the episodes that came before and after it, it just, uh, it's weaker by comparison. Yeah, there's just, there's really just not much to it compared to other episodes. Like, they meet the antagonist, the antagonist talks a lot, and then they defeat the antagonist, and then they move on. Like, there's, there's not even a whole lot of particularly interesting character development that goes on in episode 5? Well, it pays off, I think, the, the main thing, it pays off the gag where she where uh, Togame finds out that she'd been uh, misusing the word Cheerio. Oh, right, that is true. That That is revealed in episode 5. Uh, that's where she finally finds out that she was saying Chesto the wrong the whole time. And the funny um, thing is, but then, but then just commits to Cheerio because. Yeah. And then the funny thing is, when she looks around, everybody else knew that she was wrong, but nobody had the nerve to say it to her. Yeah, yeah. Even even Shichika. <laughs> like, oops. <clears throat> um. But yeah, like episode five, it's it's totally okay. But I, I really don't have much to say about episode five compared to the others. No. Um, it, there, ep, ha, ep, there has to be one weak episode in every twelve. Yeah. yeah. Well, even then, I wouldn't necessarily classify Aegis as weak, just not as. It, it's just a lot more. It was a, it was a, it was a decent episode, but not a great episode. Yeah, it's just more formulaic, I would say. Like this, yeah. this is the this is a episode that you would expect from a type of show like this. It 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 paints inside the lines. Um. So yeah, it's it's totally fine, but also it doesn't do nearly as many interesting things as like the other. Um, episodes in in this sequence here uh especially episode uh seven but let's talk about episode eight first you mean episode six episode six episode six yeah no it's it's well, fine uh, the, the i can thing, i can yeah, count good <laughs> the, the, the other thing the, the only other thing about aegis is at the end of it where the narrator says then yeah just to get even with her he sent instead of sending her to somewhere nice and warm he sends her off to the snowy mountain and it's yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like, what? Uh, yeah, so episode six starts out with um, Togeme and Shichika trying to go through, like, the snowy mountains, and Shichika not realizing what the cold is or does. Yep. <laughs> and the muscles tighten up, and the body stops responding. Yeah, so he almost dies of uh, hypothermia. And frostbite. Um, but, yeah, but thankfully, uh, this girl named uh, Itazora Konayuki shows up and uh, takes them to safety. Uh, she's not explicitly Inuit, but, like, she's definitely got sort of... Her, like, her clothing is definitely in that style. Well, okay. Uh, she's got well, bare feet. Well, you mean... Uh... Actually, well, okay. The Japanese, uh, the Japanese equivalent would be the Ainu. Oh right, yeah. Because uh, because uh, because you know they they say the place name uh, you know they named the the place they're going they're at as Ezo, which was the uh, 
the pre-Meiji Restoration term for uh, Hokkaido. Okay. All uh, right, yeah. yeah. I so, wonder if Hokkaido actually gets that cold. Uh, well, it's the northernmost part of Japan, so parts yeah, of it... I guess if it's high yeah. enough, then... Well, it's, it, it's nasty enough, too, up there. It, that, that's, that's uncharted weather up there. But anyway, yeah, as we're <clears> moving along. Right. But yeah, so... Yeah, anyway, so, yeah, the... So it turns out, like, she actually... Uh, has the sword um and as we get further and further into this show the sword the actual designs of the swords get more and more esoteric <laughs> um, like we, we got our first example with aegis where the sword was like just literally a suit of armor um and then uh um uh Itazora's sword, um, Hammer of the Dual Edge, uh, is a, um, it, 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 I, like, it's, it's technically shaped like a sword, but well, it looks it, more like something you just beat someone to death with. Well, yeah, because, because <laughs> the thing about it is that, uh, is that it's, uh, it's so heavy that only an Itazora, only an Itazora can wield it. Because anybody else is finds it impossible to pick up. Yeah, because it turns out Zora, despite being like eleven years old, is ludicrously strong. Um, but also strong. like, but also like, she doesn't really care about being powerful that much. Like, she's kind of just a kid. Yeah. Uh, well, you pretty much hit it on the head there. That's what she is. Yeah, and well, and well, mainly, well, her main motivation is dealing with the loneliness after her whole family got wiped out. Yeah. Uh, and and the dream sequence, uh, which we'll get to, uh, that's important too. I had to pause it and take a look at it, and then realize what was going on. It was a nice <laughs> setup for the next episode. But yeah, I, I I liked this episode quite a bit. I really liked the fact that um, I just really liked uh, Konoyuki's personality. Um, I liked the ninja's gimmick in this one, where she basically possesses Konoyuki, and uh, Chichika has to figure out a way to um, defeat Konoyuki without killing her and like forcing the ninja out of Konoyuki's body. <clears throat> yep. Right. Yep. And, uh, what, what was also, also, I just like also I just like the fact that Shichika is kind of at a disadvantage because Konoyuki doesn't really know how to. She doesn't really have a combat style. She's not used to fighting, so she kind of just does whatever. And she, Shichika isn't really know how, doesn't really know how to handle that. It's called right. random. Well, yeah, and yeah, and what yeah, what what makes the fight interesting is that yeah, she. Uh, you know, like one of her wild swings uh, breaks his arm uh, quite nicely. Yeah, and uh, but then when uh, when she gets possessed by uh, when she gets possessed by the ninja, he finds it he finds it easier to fight her now because because the ninja is a you know professional killer, and it turns out her style makes her more predictable. Yeah. 
because uh, she did, you know, because uh, all of her movements are so purposeful. She doesn't have any of those wild swings that can catch him off guard. Yeah, it's it's a really cool idea, and I, I I like what they did with this episode a lot, and also I like what it set up a lot. Um, which we should probably talk about episode seven now. Oh, uh, the, the, the the when she's possessed and he and she goes, oh, they've all been killed, and there's a vice scene of the village burning. Uh, the sister is in, right at the background, right on the edge of the background. You can make out her figure. Yeah, so, that 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 was the that was the kind of clue what the next episode was going to. Well, that and the narrator at the end, but you know, I try to take the narrator at the end with a grain of salt. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, and yeah. So episode seven, I think, was the like sort of the most psychologically intense of this uh, of this group of episodes. Yeah. Because, you know, because, yeah. yeah, because, you know, it's basically this, uh, you know, it involves, like, Shichika having to, you know, having to kill his sister, uh, basically. Uh, when Yeah, because, like, we knew, we knew that there was, like, we knew from the, the episode four that Nanami was, like, clearly pretty sadistic and jealous of her brother, but we kind of didn't realize how how far she would go um because she did is revealed that nami is the one who ended up wiping out all the itazora except for kona yuki uh and then also uh of clearly yeah and then uh taking the sword um akuto bita uh destitute the vile um as it's translate translated uh, and basically uses um, Bita stabbing herself in the chest with it to make herself more powerful. <clears throat> Ma- maintain um, her life force. Well, yeah, because... Yeah, well, well, also increase her physical strength to something on par with Shichika. Yeah, well, yeah, because it turned out the power of Octobita is uh, that when you stab yourself with it, it basically uh, regenerates your body. It you know, and when you have it, as long as you have it embedded, your body will constantly regenerate. Ugh. Yeah, that uh, that's convenient and inconvenient at the same time. Yeah, because unfortunately it also... These katanas, as we know, are poisonous. Um, not necessarily to the body, but to the soul. Uh, and so it makes Nanami even more... It plunges her further into darkness, basically. Um, Much more wicked. To the point, yeah, to the point where, like, she is... Uh, she seems to be perfectly fine with trying to kill her brother and Togame. Um, <clears throat> and... Man, like, this, this episode really makes you feel bad for Nanami, despite sort of what she's done. Just because, like, she did not have a good home life compared to Shichika. Like, if if the sort of spirits haunting her are any, any indication, neither her father nor her mother 
particularly cared for her that much. Well, and yeah, so, um, and, 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 and and actively wished she didn't exist. Well, in fact, uh, in fact, the, like what's revealed in the backstory is that her father tried to kill her, and yeah. Shichika killed him in order to protect her. Yeah, uh, now, and mm-hmm. he he was unaware as, of what was happening until now, and he's like, "Okay, now I understand why Dad wanted to kill you." Whoops. <clears throat> yeah. The, the way he got around his sisters, because all she's got to do is see him maneuver twice and she can duplicate it. And the, and the thing that she was copying maneuvers to uh, weaken herself, that, that was kind of interesting too. What I, yeah, well, well, right, because, uh, right, because what she has is she has this diversity of techniques, but she doesn't focus on any particular one. Um. And so that sort of becomes a weakness in its own way. Yeah. Because, you know, Shichika, you know, only knows his, you know, like, you know, his, uh, you know, Kyotoryu uh, style. But, you know, he keeps on, like, trying to refine it. He keeps, like, you know, trying to refine it and master it. Yeah, whereas Nanami just, like, keeps on piling more techniques onto more techniques. And, and she's right. not one so she never, So she never really masters anything. She just, you know, gets more stuff to use. Uh, it, it looks like she uses only uses something only once, also. What I especially... Well, what I especially... Uh, well, there's a whole lot of things I love about this episode. Uh, what I especially liked about it was it shows Togame being smart and insightful. Yeah. You know, I mean, because, like, Togame actually comes up with the, uh, comes up with the plan that, uh, <clears throat> you know, comes up with the plan that defeats Nanami. And not only that, she also, uh, you know, she, she also, you know, she also uh, figures out like what the weakness of uh, of uh, Shichika's technique is, uh, like this uh, is why she's the tactician and he's not. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like she she rarely kind of got a chance to really show herself to be super intelligent. A lot of times, it was just kind of played as a joke. Whereas in this episode, like, no, she, it's played completely straight. Um, and she not only helps Shichika refine his skills to uh, basically uh, eliminate the um, sort of startup time from a lot of his techniques, um, basically, basically help him find a way to string them together in such a way that the only delay is f- with the first move, um, as well as come up with the ruse of the candles all going out at once right yeah that, that was well done yeah uh also nanami gives her a haircut in this episode oh boy does she <laughs> well i gotta say nanami had a point because uh togame looks way cooler with the bob haircut yeah she does she yeah. she looks a lot better with, with shorter hair but, but, you know, the funny thing is, is since I, I know people who have long hair, and if you told them to get it cut short, the amount of friction 
that you would get would be, <laughs> uh, and that's that's the word I'm using for today is friction. The amount of friction that you would get would be considerable, like trying to pick up the sword in the snow. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I see both points. I see both points. I mean, shorter hair is much easier to take care of, uh, but. Uh, that hair was that hair was like the princess in the next thing that uh, episode. That's that that hair thing is uh, it, it's kind of something that uh, you know is it, it it's their uh, I don't want to say status symbol, but it, it's part of their it's part of their you know how you recognize them. At, oh yeah, long white hair. Yeah, oh it must be Togami. You know. The other inter- the other interesting thing about episode seven was the visual styles that it plays with because. There, like, there's, like, a whole bunch of, there's, like, bits where it sort of, uh, it turns into a kind of video game style of animation. Yeah, it turns into, uh, basically it's a, it's a reference to the Toho uh, shoot-em-ups. Yep. Uh, not sure if you're familiar with those, Ben, but basically, like, it's, uh, like, magical, like, instead of a spaceship, it's just, like, a magical girl that's flying around and shoots magic balls of energy instead of, you know, lasers. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not familiar with that, spe- that specific game, set of games, but I, yeah, I, I have seen, like, that style of game. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very much a reference to the Toho style of shmups, um, which I appreciated. Uh, well, I also can't remember if it's, like, I can't remember which episode it is. It might be, like, might be eight maybe uh but they uh it's when they get off the boat and it sort of it looks like a sort of side-scrolling rpg and then it goes into like a visual novel dialogue cutscene thing uh that was in episode seven as well okay that was okay that was episode seven as well i really like that too (laughs) yeah (laughs) They play they like I said they play with a whole lot of different video game uh, video game styles <laughs> and in each of the ones they play with they they execute it like in, in such a way that you, yeah you totally get it and it's really amusing yeah it, it's a, it's a really neat touch uh, I like it a lot um, anyway uh, episode seven was fantastic yes agreeable. Uh, Episode 8 is... Wow. I really liked Episode 8. Because I feel... uh, Like, Episode 8 is where I believe we first meet... uh, Well, not not first meet, because we've seen her in, like, other scenes. But where we first see Togame... um, like uh, talk on screen with Princess uh, Denial, I believe. Uh, Hite. No, he, he, he okay. I think the subs put Denial in there somewhere. I, he, maybe. Hitehime. Okay. Um, yeah, and they have a interesting relationship with each other. Yeah, right. Their their standard like yeah their standard form of uh, conversation is like trading insults back and forth. It almost, they act almost like siblings. Not quite, but almost. Yeah. Uh, though Princess Hite uh, uh, seems to genuinely like 
want to make Togame suffer, whereas Togame doesn't, you know, once once she's no longer talking with the princess, she doesn't really seem to care about her much at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the uh, sword in this episode. Um, uh, Bito Kanzashi, uh, Sai, or uh, translated to Sai the minute or minute not really sure which one that's supposed to be uh but yeah this one is just like the sword is a robot <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's what it is uh well it's a it's a first generation android ish yeah because um, it, it sits there and it stands in the sun and goes hi i need to charge my batteries yeah well, what was kind of cool about this episode at least um one of the reasons I liked it a lot is because uh, because the antagonist is a robot and, like, doesn't really talk. It just, you know, does its thing. It doesn't really have much intelligence to speak of. Um, most of the talking is done between Togeme and Shichika, and we get a lot more development on their relationship, uh, especially, like, with Shichika and Togeme kind of like becoming closer in a way that like they both kind of start to realize like oh we actually you know do like each other a lot Um, there might be some feelings there after all yeah yeah and there's just some really great dialogue between them in this episode uh because there's no antagonist to like do a whole big speech it leaves them with more time to sort of talk with each other. Uh, And also, like, contemplate sort of what their relationship even is now. Um, Just because, like, partly because they spend so much time, like, studying the uh, area and the android and the robot's, like, walking patterns. Well, and I like the first attempt at trying to trap, digging the hole and trying to trap it, and it's like, whoops, well, that kind of sort of didn't work. <clears throat> yeah. I, I do like the idea, though, that, again, sort of like, in the trend of the later episodes making Togome look way more competent than the early episodes did, mm-hmm. like, she's able to know like she's able to figure out exactly everything the robot is able to do just by like looking at it for a while (laughs) down to even like the fact that it can do like that upside down whirlwind attack (laughs) well and you know also she uh yeah also she uh she draws a map of its uh movements yeah yeah she she plots its uh, yeah she plots its she plots its movements on a map, and, and she's so thinking that... in three dimensions, being a two dimensional person. She of course riding on Shichika's shoulders gave her the height advantage, but yeah she she <laughs> she, she did a uh, she did an admirable job of that. Uh, yeah, I, I also just really like. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Ben. Well, the thing about this is that. Well, I didn't get as much out of this episode uh, because, well, it, it isn't any fault of the episode. It's just that at the time I was watching it, I was really low on sleep and kind of nodding oh, yeah. off in the middle. 
Yeah, it is a it is a pretty dialogue heavy episode. If you're kind of nodding off, like yeah, no, so yeah, yeah I I've, learned, I've learned I've learned the only thing that I can watch and nod off mode is Bebop, and anything else I have to be awake for. Yeah, it would it would be hard to like really get much from it in that state. Uh, I don't blame you. Well, yeah, my, cause, my, cause, my, yeah. So like, there was like some really good lines that I kept on like missing. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of a shame. I, I really think I should give it another shot. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, what I liked was at the end, where they've re 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 killed the monster and exit stage left and put it all back in the box and shipped it off to wherever it was going, and they're looking for the lab and he digs the hole and hits the chest and she says I don't care about the chest so he gives it a pinch and it pops open and it's full of gold bars. Yeah, it's just a bunch of gold bars. It's yeah. just like it's like you know there, there's a excuse me there's a king's fortune in gold and they just <laughs> ignored it. It's like, but I, I get back to. Uh, Back to the visit with the princess, that dual gun thing that she's got, that she seems to take. take yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally gotta, a gun on the mantelpiece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guns. It's two guns on a mantelpiece. One's a revolver and the other one that looks like a, a uh, ACP or similar type. I, I got to look at the, that was one of those where I was trying to watch it without my glasses on. Okay, bad me. On a 35-inch monitor, I should be able to see everything, but yeah, not always. But I, I'm yeah, looking and, at those guns, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's guns. Yo, know, I'm trying to rethink the time period. Gunpowder. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I, these these are special guns. These are, I believe she calls them a katana, actually. Uh, yeah. Right. They're they're one of the katanas. Right. Sure. Why not? A well, katana can be a gun. Well, seems that they keep going back to him because at the end she's sitting there, kind of at the little shrine, praying to him. They're, they've got to have a meaning. Yeah, I, I also like how when Togame asks her about it, she's just like, "Oh yeah, it's nothing. Don't worry about it." Yeah, yeah that's, that was that initial was what triggered me right there is when that conversation went on. And says, "Oh wait a minute, you don't make something about nothing about no, 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 no." Uh, yeah, I also two two other things I, I like about this episode. Um, first of all, the way they defeat the robot um, by having it run out of energy, because I figured out like ha I figured out what the basking in the sun was for like five seconds before they actually revealed it. Oh, <laughs> it's I... like oh yeah, that that makes total sense now. That's neat. Yeah, we're charging um, our batteries. Well, I kind of caught it a little faster because there's solar cells on the house. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, but that's okay. Because initi initially you think, because this is this kind of show, like you think, oh, you know, sure, it's a robot, but like maybe there's something mystical going on where it's like remembering its past or something. And No, no, it just stops like that because it needs to recharge. Yep. Um, and it's always the same. Uh, and also... Oh, I'm sorry. The the big ray of sunshine hitting it was was the other dead giveaway. I also like the uh, other. I also like the ninja um, that is in episodes five through eight. Um, yeah, I can't remember what the guy's name is, but the one who works for for the princess. Oh, Emon yeah, Zaimon. Uh, yeah, it, uh, 
Soda, it would be first name. Yeah, yeah he is a really good character. Name, yeah. Uh, I like him a lot. And I got a feeling they're, they're, they have not seen the end of him either. Oh, probably not. Um, I, I also just like... Uh, I like how the these, like... Other this other ninja group, the Maniwa, <coughs> they're just like constantly getting wrecked by different people. Yeah, each episode. They're, they're number, well, and then they take out one of their own. Yeah, it's like, come on, guys! You, you know, was... <sighs> okay, you know, again, this is anime. Minus not to reason why, minus to watch and be entertained. But I'm gonna give the episodes uh, <clears throat> um, a- average four. There was a couple of fives in there, but I'm gonna average the four episodes as a four. Unless you want me to give ev- individual episodes. Uh, I I probably won't. I probably won't rate these things until oh, I'm done okay, with it. Until we're um, done. All right. Well, I didn't know how we were doing it. You can edit that out. Yeah, I mean, I don't care. You you do you do what you want, man. Well, uh, wait, wait, don't don't say that. You it, it'll be a constant beep from here on out if you do that. So. Okay, well, not not everything you want you know, within reason. I'm sorry, I just had to. Yes. Yeah. No, I I'm really enjoying Katana Gotri so far. Um, I think it's a really good balance between like action and dialogue compared to like Bakemonogatari I think it's paced a lot better than Bakemonogatari is mm-hmm. on average anyway like there are certainly exceptions um, for Bakemono but yeah in, in general I'm, I'm liking the pace of Katanagatari more uh, and just uh, yeah I just like a lot so much about it um, it's a really fun show that I that I think is also a lot easier to recommend to people than Bakemonogatari would be, uh, especially since like there's no you know pedophilia jokes. That's definitely a bonus. Uh, but yeah, also also it's just like a a sort of more straightforward show uh, that still has a lot going for it. Um, but yeah. I don't know what else to say. I think I'm done. (laughs) Kind of just petered out there. Well, uh yeah, well, okay. So one thing that struck me is that, okay, yeah, one way it sort of, uh, you know, contrasts itself with Baka Monogatari, you know, the Monogatari series, the use of fan service. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really do that much. And, even when it does, it's in the context of Shichika and Togame spending time together. Yeah. Um, and so it fe- it feels less exploitative and more like you're just being privy to them getting to know each other. Yeah. Oh, I'm waiting to, for somebody to and, tell somebody that they love them. Yeah. Also, uh, one... <laughs> Yeah, and also like, yeah, all one thing in episode uh, it, episode seven, it, it has like uh, 
a, a, a bit of fan disservice when uh, when uh, uh, Nanami goes topless and shows you know you know you know she's like topless with like this cursed dagger sticking out of her chest, which yeah, is like in the veins. really disturbing. Yeah, yeah it, it's definitely not meant to be like a turn on in any way. It's meant to be this like, is... oh gosh, that looks bad. <laughs> Well, this is this definitely makes it PG thirteen, but that's okay. Um, but I yeah, show, I, I would not show that scene to a five year old. That's for sure. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, like I do appreciate that Katana Gotri is a lot more like it deploys its fan service in the appropriate ways. Um, it, yeah, yeah. It, it just just in general. It feels like there's a way, way less kind of skeevy otaku humor in well, Katanagashri. When they're in the hot tub passing the the uh, floating tray of sake back and forth, that could have turned into a scene, and it didn't. It just like, you know, she stood up, turned around, sat back down, and started... And, and, the biggest thing was to concentrate on the tray of hot sake flowing back and forth between them. Yeah, that's a good, like, yeah, that's another thing that impressed me. Like, they have a hot spring scene where the male and female character are in the same hot spring together, and it's not a big deal. There's no one trying to, like, peek in on them. It, it's just normal. And it's well, not like and uh, it's and not like a friggin' Minetta segment or something. <laughs> and she asked him to stand up, and she, you know, took a look at him, and he sat back down, and it was like, okay, yo, you stood up, eh, sit back down. There was there was nothing done about it. Well, yeah, because because what this is is this is like this is a balanced relationship in that the uh, in that like the. In that it's not about like one, it's not about you know one person like you know you know it's not about one person like overpowering enough the other you know but it's about like two people who really who like each other you know flirting basically yeah and and it's at the moment I would call it platonic. I, I I prop I can see how you would interpret uh, how you interpret it as platonic. Uh, I the way I'm interpreting it is it's definitely not platonic. It's oh. just that Shichika especially just doesn't have like he wasn't show he wasn't socialized to view romance the same way. He probably doesn't even know what romance is supposed to be. Well, um, so he doesn't view any of this stuff as something to be ashamed of or taboo or really so he just treats it yeah so he just treats it as just like another normal thing that they do um so i I wouldn't necessarily like the way i interpret it anyway um and like it's it's open-ended enough that you can interpret it different ways and, and, and the thing is, is, if him and his sister were on the island all the time, I'm sure that they probably bathed together. So seeing somebody naked is no big deal to him. Yeah. So I, I don't think their relationships is platonic, but also I don't think uh, 
be, be just because of how Shichika and Togeme are, um, they don't act like a traditional like oh butterflies in the stomach, um, sort of capital R romantic couple. Uh, I don't want to well, say it's a professional relationship either. It's it's in between the two. Well, okay, it's it's intimate, but it hasn't gotten to the point of them having sex. Yeah. Yeah, because it's been physical. She's wrapped him up in her hair and this, that, and the other. He's walked on her back. So, I mean, it, it's got some physicality to it, but you're right. It hasn't, they, they haven't done the deed. It is non-standard, shall we say. And refreshing. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, I, I would almost, I would almost classify it as asexual, but not aromantic. Um, because it's definitely romantic, but it is more along the lines of an asexual romantic relationship. Hmm. Uh, okay. I, uh, I, I, in a way, I can see that. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I classified it as intimate without being sexual. Yeah. Um, because there's a difference between intimacy and sex. Yep. Sure is. Which uh, a lot of writers do not get. Nope. Yeah, and I and I know, and I have some, you know, uh, friends who are uh, asexual, you know, who uh, definitely get frustrated by that sort of thing, where, you know, it's a lot, just a lot of media and popular culture equates um, sex with intimacy and vice versa. Yeah, see, like this is... if you like as like if you are in a romantic intimate relationship that means you must be having sex and like that's not necessarily the case like see, that's not how everybody functions right see this is why when I was watching the X file this is why I was against Mulder and Scully hooking up because I really like what they had going for most of the show which was that they had an intimate but non-sexual relationship yeah and like even though I was one of those people who did want them to hook up like that at the time, with the benefit of hindsight, which, gosh, how long ago did that come out? Like, 20 years ago? Uh, <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight and, like, growing to learn more about the variety of human experience, I I think I'm, I, I think I'm definitely on your side now. I, I think I agree with you on that. Uh... Yeah, well, since well, I wasn't yeah, a big X file fan, I'll just kind of go. Season, okay, first season came out twenty five years ago. Oh, <laughs> uh, don't don't! I don't want to hear anybody say, "Oh, gee, I feel old," because I'm going to come through the microphone. Yeah, I you. know, I know. It, it would be <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I I just well, I just <laughs> I just came from a wedding reception where everybody was complaining about being old, and I just kind of looked at them like. Yeah, right. Anyway, uh, yeah, do we have anything more to say about uh, this uh, bit of Katanagatri? No, I'm waiting for the next, I'm waiting to watch the next four. Yep. All all right, Uh, so yeah, that'll do it for this episode of BakaCast. I don't believe we have any listener comments unless this... Unless Discus is broken again. No, it's definitely 
It's fixed. It's sitting on top of the bread box looking at me going, meow. <clears throat> all right, just all quiet on the Western Front then. Yeah, for the moment. All right. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that'll do it uh, for this episode of BakuCast. Uh, as always, you can uh, find the show notes and leave questions or comments on our blog at projectharhi.net or at audioentropy.com. Uh, or you can send us an email at BakuCast at projectharhi.net. Or you can uh, tweet me at Stilts the GM. And you can tweet me at Deathslinky. And I'm here. And you can just leave Larry alone because he's tired. Oh no, I just <laughs> Larry aggravates easily lately. Anyway, uh, Ben, Dustin, three, two, one. Kirabosh. Yeah, I'll have a nice time watch anime because terrestrial TV still stinks. Bye. <laughs>